Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor, and this is the Radio Times podcast. Every week, I sit down with a celebrity guest from the world of TV or film to talk about their lives, both on and off screen. To my fellow TV enthusiasts, I hope you enjoy listening. This week, I am joined by the Scottish actor Martin Compston. Born and raised in Greenock, Scotland, he first made his name starring in the Ken Roach film Sweet Sixteen, which won the Best Screenplay Award at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival. It was his role as Detective Sergeant Steve Arnott in Jed Mercurio's Line of Duty that made him a household name. In this episode, we talk about how that role changed his life, what it's like living in Vegas, and why he's doing less on-screen nudity. Plus, we chat about his latest travel log, Martin Compton's Norwegian Fling, and what it was like running with wolves. Martin Compton, welcome to the Radio Times podcast. <laughs> How you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> No worries. Look, we're going to go a little bit everywhere in this conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about TV, talk about your career, and then, of course, come on to your TV project, which you're working on at the moment. But kick us off first and foremost with what is the view from your sofa? Talk me through your living room setup. <laughs> um, all right. I wasn't expecting that to kick off. Um, right now, well, in front of it would be my son's table full of toys. Um <laughs> Because he's his little table in front of our couch for the mornings. Um, so the, I mean, when you've got a four year old, the house is just a riot. Um, and um, the in front of that, we've got a big sort of, um, yeah, we've got a lovely kind of big. I don't know what you'd call it in the house, like a an indentation or stuff. So you can like the, I mean, not to go all friends on you, but the entertainment unit goes in there <laughs> um, with the big telly and stuff. Uh, 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. My wife loves, she's got a bit of a green uh, finger, so there's flowers and plants and stuff hanging off the top of it and all that kind of thing. But yeah, that's pretty much our setup. I would say, though, that's because I'm, I'm at home here in Vegas. We're, we're very lucky that we um we were able to split our time because we have a home in Greenock, where I'm from as well. And actually, the, the view from the couch there is overlooking the Clyde. And it's absolutely beautiful. Wow. That's probably my favourite spot to, because if you sit, if you lie back at the right angle, you just see water as you look out. So it's as if you're floating. So that's probably my, that's that's my favourite spot to just kind of relax. Wow. Yeah, goodness. Well, it's nice to have have the mixture of both entertainment centre or view of the Clyde. I mean, can yeah, you ask for anything better? Um, what have you enjoyed watching recently on TV? You know what? Um, it kind of... I just literally just started Curb Your Enthusiasm. I know that's so far behind Ooh. the times, but it's, it's brilliant. It really, really is good. But I think um, uh, I got quite obsessed by the bear, I think, like everybody else, which was pretty sensational. You know, I can't kind of walk about the kitchen now and make, make yes. my son's breakfast without saying, yes, chef, and all that kind of <laughs> carry on. Um, but yeah, that's... But I've been kind of... I don't like what I, I can get quite hard when because I've been lucky. I've been working and quite a lot recently, and I don't like watching things when I work because I can get quite obsessive. And then instead of actually mm. thinking about the scene or what you're doing, you're thinking, "I can't wait to go home to finish this." <laughs> so true. Or you find yourself late at night watching an episode yeah. when you know you've got an early start. No, absolutely. You you keep flying through things. Um, so I think I'm going to start uh, Masters of the Air. Um, I'm going to start that as I know a couple of lads in that and they're all um, very talented boys and stuff so I'm excited to see that Who gets control of the remote in your household? And normally I think when, when I interview people with young kids it tends to be the children get their way Oh for sure um, it, it's whatever I mean there's there's a ton of Disney films and I mean all we get is Minions and Despicable Me he's mad on Baby Boss at the minute um, <laughs> which is a bit it kind of weirds me out that film but he um, <laughs> And we, we we still try, but the problem is, like, when you're doing six o'clock, half six starts to get up and get ready and do that stuff, by the time I get to the end of the day, like, <laughs> now I'm like I'm in my bed by 9, 9.30, it's usually when I get away to work, I can get a bit of peace and quiet and I can, I can watch the odd thing, you know, but yeah, it really is, but I probably, my wife would say me, um, and I know because she kind of controls most things in the house to be fair to her so i think she kind of i she knows when i'm yeah but we we've been kind of trying to catch through all the sort of award films because we missed a lot of them so yeah. we, we've kind of been catching up on them on the couch when we get a chance if you had to choose a snack and drink of choice whilst watching telly what would it be oh i like a glass of red wine when watching something i do like a glass of malbec when I'm watching something and a good snack. I mean, I'll, I've never been much of a sweet tooth. I do love crisps. Oh, me I too. What flavour? Just again, it'd be depend where you're where you are. If um if I was back home, it'd be uh, beef McCoys. Um, and over here, there's a there's a a, a, a crisp plate called Ruffles, which are Ooh. really good. Yeah, they're really good. Okay. Right. I want to take it back in time. So you grew up in, I'm going to say it, I'm sorry if I butcher it and you can correct me and I can go again. You grew up in Greenock? Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Good. Thank you. In Greenock yeah. in Scotland. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your first ever TV memory? Oh, wow. Um, 
probably the one that really stands out for me. I mean, I always, I think like um, a lot of people, because it was funny, because I, I actually ended up on that slot with Monica the Glen, but my mum loved like Bali K. And we always had like a Chinese on a Sunday night in, in Bali K. And I think it's that famous Kevin Bridges joke, but when you heard that theme tune, you knew it was school in the morning. Um, but yeah, she loved Bali K. But I think the one that left the biggest impact on me was Cracker. And there's that. Ooh. That amazing scene between uh, Robbie Coltrane and Bobby Carlyle, and it's the the scene about the sort of the guy who's trying to um, avenge the sort of uh, the Hillsborough tragedy. Um, but I, I, it's just there's two heavyweights, titan of actors, sort of going toe to toe mm. across the table, and I remember watching it, going, "What is this? Like, I want to be part of that." You know, yeah. so that was something that really, really stuck with me. Was TV watching much of a, a family affair? Did you do it a lot together? Yeah, um, I think we did. I mean, I th- especially the time as I always remember watching TV would be New Year, you know, when you were you were wee, because that's what you'd be into the house. Now you're always out and about, but it would be <laughs> in and watching all the sort of New Year specials and all the mm. like the sketch shows and all that kind of thing. Um, my dad, the biggest thing I loved, I'd loved Only Fools and Horses at Christmas. That oh, was always yeah. a big thing for us. Uh, watch. And it still is whenever I'm home. We always stick on Only Fools at Christmas and, and watch that. That was a big thing. When do you first start getting the inkling that you want to be on screen? And, and did that feel like a, a plausible career path? I'm, I'm always interested because to me it seems like an industry that is untouchable. Yeah, I think I think that's changing a bit. I think, you know, just with technology and, you know, people making their mm. own TikTok films or whatever that be, and yeah. it, it, it's becoming more accessible. But no, for sure, when I was as young, it didn't seem like a plausible career. You know, I think, but I, and I think to some extent, like most kids kind of want to be in movies, you know, it's just, you're just, yeah. I mean, we are big kids. It's just playing make-believe, you know, you're just <laughs> playing cops and robbers and, and getting paid for it. So you just sort of, there's that element of you, but I never took it serious. I think the big thing that changed for me is I, I went on a kind of a double date with with my mate when we were like 15 and um, <laughs> we saw by mistake, My Name is Joe, which was a Ken Loach movie. And it was the first time I saw on of the course. big screen people who spoke like me. And I didn't know, like, I, I recognised these characters, you know, they could be people from my town. And I went, I didn't know we could be on a big screen. Um, and then just by chance, Ken Loach was um, casting a movie uh, the following year in my town. And when just, you know, everything just sort of aligned for me in that period, it was, you know, it was a, yeah, I was very, very lucky that all that kind of happened at the same time. If I never saw that film, then I possibly never went, went to an audition. And if he never wasn't holding auditions in my town, I probably wouldn't be an actor, you know. So I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that it just all, all fell into place for me. It was an open audition, wasn't it? You were still at school. You were so young. Do you think that's also perhaps sometimes the naivety of youth, being able to walk in and think, like, I'll just give it a go? Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah, so I auditioned at my school. Um. But my the big thing is a, a close friend of mine, uh, Gary Harkins, who became a professional footballer. Gary's dad, Joe, was our assistant head, and we all knew each other, you know, because we were friends. But he was also um, our school football coach, and he said, "Look, there's there, there's this casting brief going around. They're looking for this certain type of kid," and he says, "And I think it's you." Um, he said, "You should go for this audition," and I was like, "I, I don't know. Like all my lads, all my all my pals will slag me." And he made like a few of us from the school football team go together. And that was great. You know, I mean, I'd be forever thankful for him for doing that to me. And then, yeah, I just had a couple of additions and 
I think if I, I think you're right though. Was that kind of fearlessness? I think in some ways I'm still trying to get back to that as a, as an actor. Like I mm. wish I had the experience I have now with the fearlessness I had when I was 17 because it was all about the scene. You didn't you didn't take anything else into consideration, whether it be how big somebody's trailer, what's your turnaround, who's got the private car, all that kind of carry on. You just wanted to act, you know, and nothing got in the way of that. Um, yeah. So, and I think if I thought of the enormity of it. Like if I knew the film was going to go to the Cannes Film Festival and all those kind of things, then I might have panicked. But I really just thought that I'm going to go give this as best a shot I can and finish it. But I also, I'm also very, I felt very comfortable on set on day one. Yeah. You know, it's, I didn't feel out of place. Um, and again, I think that's testament of just how good a director Ken Loach and his, his producer Rebecca and his writer Paul are. They just make you feel at ease and they make you feel wanted and they make you feel confident. And like all my suggestions at 17 for somebody who had never been on a set before were listened to and taken on. Um, and that just shows you why they're, you know, the the greats that, 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 that what they are. So, yeah, again, I'm, I'm very aware of how lucky I was to meet them when I did. Yeah. And that opportunity must have opened doors for you in episode six of your norwegian fling you do say uh, when you're talking to a singer in norway you say that actually after that opportunity you did have to move to london because that's where the opportunities were or you felt that that's where your career had to move can we talk a little bit about that did that feel like the only way to really make a career or do you think you could have stayed in scotland and and have made a name you, you could stay in scotland now i know everybody doesn't have this opportunity um but I do think if you do have the the chance to get out and experience different cultures, whether that be London, Paris, Madrid, whatever, I would really, I really would encourage anybody who gets that opportunity to go and do it. Um, it's a fabulous thing for a young person to do whatever walk of life you're in. But for us at that time, now things, most auditions now are on tape, at least yeah. the first couple of rounds Anyway, um, so you can be pretty much anywhere as long as you've got a, a phone and film it. But when I was younger, it would be literally like, we've got an audition, you need to be in Paddington at three o'clock. Now, obviously, mm. if you're living in Greenock, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> so it was, um, it was you You really did feel like London, or even at that time, LA was, was the centre of everything. You had to be there. But I mean, when I was, again, when I was coming through, pilot season was a huge thing. That and nobody ever kind of foresaw the end of that and that's kind of finished now you know the world's the world's sort of changed but you know I, I loved my time in London um just in general you know just meeting new people different cultures big city it was great fun but I think once you get to a certain point um you kind of go like I've done my time you know I want to go yeah. home. life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. 
Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You have been in work pretty much continuously, but it was line of duty and, of course, <laughs> anti-cooperation unit detective Inspector Steve Arnold that really made you a household name. Did you anticipate that? popping off jeb mccurry was my second episode of this podcast so really i feel like yes i feel like listeners can go back and enjoy that one yeah. too no like because it's, it's funny because when, you, when you're going back to uh, sweet 16 i actually it was a big start but i felt like that was a a weight around my neck for a long time because the film mm. kind of did that well that but then a lot of people kind of thought i was that kid you know like i, I had related to yeah. it very well and you know, and it was filmed in my hometown, and I, I, it was a phenomenal part for us to make it. But I, 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 that kid was not me, you know. Um, so I think Monica the Glen was a was a fabulous grounding for me, getting on that because I didn't get tons of parts after it. But that was really like my drama school going, and you know, hitting your mark. Different directors working with legends like Tom Baker and Susan Hampshire, and all these kind of people. But then, yeah, Line of Duty comes along. And again, I probably owe my career to two people, and it would be Ken Loach and Jed Mercurio. Um, I didn't think anybody would ever trust me to be the lead on a sort of BBC, you know, sort of network show. Um, but I think when you start to see the cast he was building with with Vicky and Lenny, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, that's kind of people. And a great friend of mine, Craig Parkinson, I was like, these are all kind of people... Um, you know, I, I've I've worked with these kind of people or been in similar jobs as them. You know, I, I can really relate to them. So I loved, I had, I, I don't think any of us had any idea like just what it would become. And especially I think me, Vicky and Eddie didn't realise what a team we would become. I mean, the mm. two of them became our, two of my best friends. I mean, we speak pretty much daily um, or WhatsApp groups, you know. Um, so it's, I, I had no idea just how big it would become but i think it's all just testament to jed's writing you know it's just every series and i'd, I'd really and I, I suppose this is the big question about whether we do another one because every year it has got bigger every year and um just the, the numbers it did the last the last series were insane yeah 15 million it was really overwhelming i had to um yeah and it, I, I, I really, I thought last series. I thought there was. I think it was especially. There's a run in the last series. I think it's ep three, four, five, which are my favourite of all time. Which Jed have written throughout the whole series. Um, you know, there's the sniper, the van pop, and Vicky on the run, all that kind of thing. I think it was just, and it's a, it's incredible that he's still writing that sort of high octane stuff after. I mean, we've probably been on it by that point by nearly ten years. Um. But I remember the last episode coming on and all the guys, we'd kind of got like on a, like a FaceTime together and I was like, I need to go a walk. I was filming in Edinburgh in time. I think we were just coming. It was the sort of like the COVID rules were just getting relaxed. And I went a walk up to Edinburgh Castle and I remember just thinking the streets were empty and it was a weird feeling going, everybody's in watching this. It just felt oh like God. a mammoth pressure and um, almost became kind of too big and took a life of its own. But we're really lucky that 
we've kind of got each other, you know, me, Vicky, mm. Jed and Adia, like we all kind of keep each other grounded and check in on each other. And we started doing that um, during the last series, like every week just checking in because it just, I mean, I really appreciate and that at that point, sort of the media sort of attention around it and stuff, but it can, it can become a bit much and you're kind of, you're, it's a weird thing where you're really excited for it to come out and everybody to see it. And then when you get to about EP3-4, you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to be done. Because <laughs> then they'll move on to the next thing. That's that's the, that's the nature of that kind of thing. It's nature mm. of entertainment. Then the next big show will come out and they'll all be on to that. But it's just, it's a hard thing to, because it's not to complain about it because you you love the attention the show gets. You really appreciate that people, people coming up with their own theories and, and having their opinions. I love all that. I really, really do. But it's just just the the fever pitch that came to the last one just yeah it, it, it was a lot and it was locked down which i think probably makes For everything sure. even worse and more amplified yeah. i had sophie rundle on the podcast also not that long ago who you co-sold with oh, so, sophie's brilliant isn't she yeah oh my and oh my gosh what a fabulous conversation is she's yeah. so intelligent yeah. um, and we had a really interesting conversation about how nudity and filming intimate scenes on screen yeah um, had changed and it was really interesting because I was having a conversation recently uh, with a friend of mine because I'm re-watching Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and when I started watching it I was still maybe like late school years and my parents were really shocked at how normalized it was for me and when I was watching it I was completely normalized to it I didn't yeah. think anything of it now as an adult watching back I'm thinking do you know what actually there are parts of this that that do make me feel uncomfortable because it it does just feel gratuitous it doesn't feel necessary Mm. to the plot I wondered if actually as an actor if you could explain to me how it feels now that you have such a a good body of work behind you do you feel more able to say I'm just going to say such a good body (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true (laughs) I would never objectify you like that but oh my gosh this is going to be a meme, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, of course you have that too. But now yeah. you have such a, a strong body of work behind you. If that's given you maybe more sway in the field. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm i lucky I've kind of got myself in a position now where I can have those conversations. But I think a huge thing that's changed is intimacy coordinators, which have been a mm. fabulous addition to sets. You know, they're basically just um, like stunt co- coordinators for sort of love scenes or or nudity scenes and stuff and it's something that is now we're thinking back that they should have been in a lot yeah a lot earlier because they take a, a lot of the pressure off the actor because they're a sort of buffer between most directors i say 99 percent of them um are like very understanding and stuff but you know there are probably as i say there are probably situations where it is a bit gratuitous and um it's, it's sort of done for reasons other than furthering the story. Now, I I also feel a bit like I've done my time, you know, when I was younger. I've I've done full frontal. I've had my arse out loads of times. And, you know, you do get, you get sent it on social media. And I find it bizarre because I'm like, what do you want me to send back here, mate? Like, what do you want me to say? Like, oh, nice one. And it's, so you kind of, I think as well, being a father now, you kind of, you do think a little bit like, right, you've got to start being a bit more careful. Now, if it was, for the story, and it was essential to the story, yeah, I'd be up for it, you know. Um, but it would need to be a conversation that was had, and there'd need to be a lot of trust between yourself and the director. But I do, you do worry what you're saying, like whether whether are people who are just starting out who maybe don't feel that they don't have a strong voice on set. Maybe they're they can be put in uncomfortable positions. But I hope that 
the introduction of uh, intimacy coordinators has has really made a massive difference to that, as I said, because now you just tell them what you're comfortable with and they go and speak to the director and the producers and it doesn't come on to you when... Because I've had before... I did have a director go one time, well, just just do this. I just want to see this. And I was like, well, you don't need it. And I remember it became, becoming a bit of an awkward atmosphere for a second. And, you know, and I was strong enough to just kind of do my thing. It wasn't the end of the world, but it's nice to have somebody between you for those conversations because then it's it, they take all the kind of responsibility for that and it doesn't make you feel awkward around people. You just go, right, well, that's that's what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is so, so important. And I think, like you say, it, it creates a dynamic where everyone can feel safe, which is at the end of the day, the bare minimum when you're going to work is that you yeah. should feel safe and secure. Look, let's talk about Martin Compson's Norwegian fling, which I loved. Um, nice. My favourite moment or my uh, highlight from the series was you meeting the wolf. It's yeah. like you're meeting like, <laughs> like a spirit animal. It's like this beautiful connection. And Everyone leaves the ring, including your cameraman. <laughs> yeah, there. the big man bolted. He left me. <laughs> he left me hanging. And he's a he's a big lad, Tom, as well. When you're an actor and you're and you're used to seeing yourself on screen as a character, is it is it quite strange to uh, just be Martin on screen? It can be. You know, I, I'm I'm lucky that I've, I've done quite well with acting, but also you know I, I'm very aware that that's what I am. I'm an actor because I've been. A bit, it's been really kind, but I mean, I've been offered, I think, every reality show. I've been offered to present reality shows. And it's just, I'm not a TV presenter. You know, this idea began with um, me and my pal Phil, because Phil's a fluent Gaelic speaker. And we were like, we should do something about um, about Gaelic, because I was starting to learn it and do that. And then it just sort of, we met uh, our friend David at Tern and it just sort of escalated. Let, let's make something bigger about Scotland and encompass all what it means to be Scot Scottish in the modern age. And then we just had a blast. We just had a really good time and it kind of morphed into this travel show. And then we went, well, do you want to go again? And uh, I don't know who came up with Norway, but I, it was brilliant because it was not, I just, it's, it's a strange thing as well to think it never really comes up, but it's right across the water from us. You know, it's mm. right there. Um, it's our, pretty much our, our nearest neighbours and um which and but when you get this list of stuff at the start like look this is what we're thinking about doing all that stuff the wolves was one that i <laughs> i circled right away that was my that was my massive that's what i was really really looking forward to because i'm aware that's not an everyday thing like it's very rare you're going to get that opportunity and I, i'm on this i'm on this kind of weird uh, maybe it's a midlife crisis at the minute. It's my 40th later this year. But I've been doing trike lessons, uh, like those three-wheel motorbikes. Very nice. And I, I there was a lovely, there was a, the wee woman who's been teaching me, she's great, and she said this thing of, um, which was great. She says, look, a green light is not a force field. Just because it's green and you go, <laughs> some other idea might hit you from the other side. So always be aware. And I was thinking that with the wolves and acting because you kind of just go, I think we I've kind of got a mad sense of security when somebody calls, because I've done stunts before I went wrong, but when somebody calls action and cut, I just kind of think, yeah, this will be fine. Like if they've said it's fine. And it's the same with the wolves. When the guy was like, look, if you do this, you do this, you do this, <laughs> you'll be fine. So I just kind of, I, I did what that stuff doesn't really, it, I, I don't, don't really hold any fear to it. Yeah. You look at complete peace. Cause you, th I think if you listen to the experts on these things, they kind of, they know what they're doing, you know, and as long as you don't, as long as you follow what they say, you're usually going to be all right. And um, I think that's why me and Phil work 
so well together is he he likes his fine dining he likes his scandy pop stars you know and i like running about with wolves <laughs> and getting ducked underwater and all that kind of stuff so and he's phil's just you know he's he's, he's one of life's great guys you know yeah. he's, he's just he's just a lot of fun to be around um he kind of draws people into him like kind of one of my favorite moments of the whole trip was we we stopped in the middle of nowhere sort of for like this i mean it sounds obvious to say but a traveling show there's a lot of traveling <laughs> yeah. um so even when you're not filming it's sort of like right we've got a six hour drive to the next place and so it's quite exhausting and we pulled up at this place and it was eurovision that night and and phil's that's that's his nirvana you know <laughs> and we we're so we're in the middle of nowhere we pulled up at this what i could like could only explain to be like a, a sainsbury's a tesco metro like it was nothing much there and when we got to the place he was like where's the room shown the eurovision and it was just like this sort of wee kind of dingy room and he went right all you guys go have dinner. And then we all had dinner. And then by the time we got back, this room is decked out in flags and party hats and champagne and cocktails and hats and all these fake toys. And, and then it wasn't just us. Everybody else from the rest of the hotel, all the kids and stuff, all kind of started gravitating towards this room. Aww. And it was this lovely moment. And, of course, Phil's just at the middle orchestrating it all. And that sort of just summed him up perfectly for me. You know, he's... He's got a massive, massive heart, and uh, yeah, it's just great fun to be around. Yeah, it's absolutely, it does feel, although sometimes I, I think when I watch Travelog, wow, this is just an excuse to get to do all of these incredible things. But I do think that this is like a real ode to male friendship. It's like such a beautiful relationship you two have, singing in the car, like the humour of you two. There's that hot tub scene where you where you see this real like human side to you, not that you're not human all the yeah. time, but you know, when someone's a celebrity or a, f a famous actor, you don't always necessarily see the humanity of them. And then you two just well, and the hot having tub a drink. With a, a glass of champagne. <laughs> just like, it's it's yeah. so good. But also, although this is all about Norway, there are uh, constant references to Scotland. And yes. you're obviously so proud. And it's so nice to see um, of where you come from. Do, do, you know, do you ever get homesick? And also, as you've got older, do you feel that pull even more of your roots and where you're from? A hundred percent, but I says I'm lucky I have my home there. I spend most of yeah. my time there, you know, all my works. We um are very lucky to have this um like my wife at the moment's probably her job is more glamorous than me. She's away throwing the Grammys party and um she's just back from throwing Wife John's party in New York and then she'll be on to a Super Bowl party. I mean it's hard work. She's she's the yeah. one cleaning doing but, it. Yeah. yeah. But when I'm here, it's like I'm just, it's kind of when I'm back, we're in Vegas, my wife's on the road, so I'm just at home being a dad. And then uh, I think I leave in 10 days and that'll be me gone for the next four months in, in Scotland, you know, and then the family will come join me. It's just when my job is so intense when I'm at home, like I, I leave, you're leaving at five, six in the morning, you're back at eight, nine at night, five, six nights a week. So I'd rather, you know, it's better for, for my wife to be here with, the support of her family around her, you know, but mm. no, I, I spend most of my time at home. I think you do appreciate, as you say, you say Joe, just what, what the country means to you. And I do as much as I can try and promote it. Um, and as I'm getting older um, in my career, I'm very lucky that I'm getting to be the other side of the camera and producing a bit of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of Scottish stories that I want to tell and also bring work to Scotland, you know? So mm. yeah, I do. But also again, it's, it, I think that that's the benefit of having 
been had the ability to travel the world, you know, to have lived in London, to to have lived in LA, to have lived in Vegas. You know, I do appreciate home more, but and I do I I I can understand that not everybody can do that. But again, I do think if you have the opportunity, get out and see a bit of the world for sure. Okay, and just to finish up, you obviously are driving a lot on this. There's a lot of great music. If there was a soundtrack to your life, one song, what would it be? Wow. Uh, probably, I would either go, it would be Arctic Monkeys, Certain Romance, or Jerry Cinnamon, Cantor. Okay, well, there you go. Um, Listen, Martin, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the Radio Times podcast. No problem. Thank you, Kelly. If you enjoyed this episode of the Radio Times podcast, please do listen to my conversation with the writer behind Line of Duty, Jed Mercurio. Or you might enjoy my interview with David Tennant. Both episodes can be found by scrolling back through the Radio Times podcast feed. Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast with me, your host, Kellyanne Taylor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps other TV and film lovers find us. Until next Tuesday, happy viewing. <laughs>